Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, open over to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Or if you have the YouVersion Bible app on your phone, uh, you can follow along with us on there. Uh, you go down to the More section on the app, uh, click Events, uh, Cornerstone, Noada, uh, the outline and everything is on there. You can follow along with us uh, this morning. And uh, like I said, we are starting a, uh, or last week we finished a series called The Moral of the Story. This week we are starting a new series uh, in the book of Ephesians called From Death to Life. And this idea that God has moved us out of death. We were destined for death. We were in darkness. God has come and brought us out of death into life. And while you're turning to Ephesians 1, one of my favorite things to listen to are testimonies. And I, I love testimonies. I love listening to people share their story of what God has done in their life. And, and there are amazing testimonies from all sorts of people talking about all the things that God has done in their life. When they were in a moment of utter darkness, God came in and, and just changed their life and Man, there's something great about a testimony. But I hear it said often, man, I don't have a story. I don't have a story. And this person has a really good story. They can share over and over again about what God has done in their life. And I just don't seem to have a story. I grew up in the church. I grew up a believer. I just, that's my story. It's not very exciting. And I just don't really have a story. Well, that's not true. That's not true. You do have a story. A matter of fact, I think this morning Paul would tell you in Ephesians 1, you have a story. And guess what? The details of your story may be different than the details of other people when they tell their story. But guess what? The plot is the same. The plot is the same. In your life, you have a story. A matter of fact, Paul won't just say that you have a story. No, he'll tell us in Ephesians 1 this morning that not only do you have a story, but your story involves the whole Trinity. Every aspect, every member of the Trinity plays a part in your story. And this morning, as we look at Ephesians 1, we will see what is our story because Paul lays it out, this is our story. This is what God has done in your lives. And so we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to look at the first two verses right away. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, as we go into the book of Ephesians, we should probably know a little bit of background on the book of Ephesians. Uh, he's writing, Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. Ephesus was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. It was the capital of the province of Asia Minor. Or Asia Minor. It was a major commercial port. It was a rich place. People were going in and out, so there was money to be made. And uh, it said that Ephesus included the temple of Artemis, which at that time was seen as one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. And so uh, there was a lot of, you know, pagan idols uh, were pagan worship 
in the city of Ephesus as well. And it's one of those cities that Paul, it's one of the first cities that, that Paul went to and you know, really had an impact there. And it's an important city when you read through the book of Acts and when you read through the scriptures. And so we see here that he's addressing this letter to the people at Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. In some translations, it says the saints, and what this means, it's the holy ones, those who have been set apart in Christ. To those of you who have given your life to Jesus Christ, this letter is going to you, the church. And he says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I like how Harold Horner describes these words. He says, grace expresses God's steadfast love toward man, and peace shows the relational state as a result of that grace. God's steadfast love towards men, peace is the result of that grace. And so he's writing, and then he's going to continue now into verse 3 through 6, and I mentioned, you know, we have a story, right? The story that has been laid out for us and the Trinity plays a huge part in our story. And how does that work? Well, these first uh, few verses, three through six, will show us that we are blessed by the Father. We are blessed by the Father. And it tells us this in verse three. It says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us and the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He's blessed us in the heavenly realm with every spiritual gift. This phrase, every spiritual blessing, it refers to every spiritual enrichment we need for our spiritual life. These are heavenly blessings. These are not material blessings. When he mentions this, no, he's not saying God's blessing you with all the material things you need. No, he's blessing you with these spiritual gifts to live a spiritual life. And what are those blessings? What are those blessings that He has blessed us with, the Father has blessed us with? Well, He goes on to tell us this in verses 4 through 6. He says, For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us in the one He loves. So Paul goes on to describe what are these blessings that we have been blessed with by the Father. Well, the first one is, is that He has chose us. He has chosen us. We have been chose, or He has chose us in Him before the creation of the world. Think about that for a second. He chose us. He chose us. God the Creator, God the Father, God who created everything, put the stars in the sky, the same God who, who set the distance from the earth to the moon, the earth to the sun, one inch on either side and we would either freeze or burn up. That same God who put all of that together so intricately chose us. Man, how amazing is that? Before the world began, He chose us to be blameless and perfect in His sight. And God is all-knowing, knew that in our free will we would fall short of His glory. We are all sinful. We are all broken. We all fall short of that mark. I know my ability to struggle and to fall short. You know your ability to stumble and to fall short. And He knew that, and yet He chose us. And He says that, he chose us before the creation of the world to be two things. The first one is to be holy. 
He chose us to be holy. We are to be holy in the way that we live our life, in the things that we say, in the things that we do. We should be holy. And why should we be holy? Well, Leviticus 19.2 tells us, it says, Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, Be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. If God is holy, if He has chosen us, then we should be holy as well. But not just holy, no, we are to be blameless. Philippians 2, 14-15 tells us, Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. He chose us. He chose us to be holy, to be blameless in His sight. And then it says, in love He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and His will to the praise of His glorious grace which He has freely given and the one He loves. Not only did He choose us, He predestined us to be adopted as sons and daughters into the family. You see, this word predestined, it's often a tricky word. And a lot of things are put onto this word. What does this word predestined mean? Well, really, from the Greek word, predestined means marked out beforehand. So, from the beginning, at the very beginning, we were chosen by God to be a member of His family, to be adopted into the family of God. Again, think about that. Not only did He choose you, choose us, we are destined to become members of His family, to be adopted into the family of God. With all of our sins, with all of our brokenness, with all of the things we do wrong, He he chose us to be adopted into His family. And it says that He did this according to His pleasure and will. His pleasure and His will. It was His will that we be adopted as sons and daughters into His family. And He did this in His pleasure. He delights in that. Not only did He choose you, not only did He want you to be a part of His family, He delights in you being a part of His family. He delights in you being a son and daughter in the family. I don't know about you, that's amazing to me. And He does this, He accomplishes this through His Son. John 1.12 tells us, Yet to all who did receive Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Galatians 3.26 tells us, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. And just a little bit later in Galatians 4.6, Because you are His sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. And think about who Paul's writing to. He's writing to a Gentile audience. Can you imagine what they're thinking? That, man, what was once destined only for the Jews is also for the Gentiles. How amazing this must have felt for them that God would make them His children when for so long it was promised just to the Jews. And think about that. what that means for us. That God would want you to be a part of His family. That the God who created everything wants you to be His Man, that's a great way to start a story, is it not? Man, that is a great way to start our story. Guess what? My story may look different than yours in some of the details, but we are all blessed by a Father who loves us so much that He would want us to be a part of His family. And so what's the next part? 
What, uh, what other parts of the Trinity play in this? Well, in verses 7 through 10, we see that we are redeemed by the Son. We are redeemed by the Son. We are blessed by the Father, and we are redeemed by the Son. Verse 7, it tells us this. It says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us. Redemption through His blood. We have been redeemed through His blood. What does that word mean, redemption? To be redeemed, what does it mean? Well, Webster's Dictionary defines redemption as the act, process, or instance of redeeming. Okay, so what does redeeming mean? Well, the word redeeming, according to Webster's Dictionary, means serving to offset or compensate for a defect. Means to compensate, to offset for a defect. And man, I think that there was a major defect with man. When sin came into our lives, we messed everything up. Things became broken. And it was going to take something major to redeem us from our defect. A great act, if you will. It was going to take something that was very important. It was going to take blood. It was going to take blood. Hebrews 9.22 tells us that. It says, in fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And so, we needed that great act. And what was that? Jesus' blood was shed for us. Jesus' blood was shed for us. We have redemption through His blood. But why? Why did He need to shed His blood for us? Well, you see, Romans 5.6 tells us at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. We were powerless to fix what we had broken. Try and try and try and try as hard as you may. You can't make up for the mistakes that you've made, the sins that you've committed. It was going to take something even greater than us to fix what we have broken. We were powerless to fix what we had broken. But on the cross, the blood shed for us brings us redemption. And in it, we find the forgiveness of our sins. 1 Peter 1, 18-19 tells us, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Romans 3, 23-26 tells us, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So we have redemption through his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. But 8 and 10 tells us some more things that we receive from Jesus Christ. In verse 8 it says, With all wisdom and understanding he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. 
So he has redeemed us by his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. But not only that, no, he has also made the mystery of his will known to us through Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Well, wisdom, it's the insight into the nature of God and understanding. It's the ability to comprehend the nature of God. These are very important for our spiritual lives as we walk with God, to have wisdom, to have understanding. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery. You see, Paul uses this phrase mystery six times in Ephesians, and it's not an eerie word. When we think of the word mystery, it's like, ooh, mystery. But that's not what it's talking about here. What is this mystery? It's the life-changing work of Christ, the death, the resurrection of Christ. These things had been prophesied, and now these things were revealed through Christ. These prophecies have come and were fulfilled through Jesus Christ for the longest time. What do these prophecies mean? What are these talking about? What are these referring to? Jesus answered those questions. The mystery has been revealed. The mystery is the life-changing work of Christ, that death, that resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 4, it says, For what I received I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Romans 16:25 through 26 Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God so that all the Gentiles may come to obedience that comes from faith And then he says that to be, these are to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth. This carries the idea of at just the right time, at the right time, everything will be brought together through Christ. This is that idea that everything will be restored and brought together. All that was lost through rebellion and sin and alienation from God, that will all be fixed. At just the right time, when that time comes, all of this stuff will be brought together through Jesus Christ. Man, we are blessed by the Father and we are redeemed. We have redemption from the Son. That's a great part to add to our story, right? A Father who's blessed us, the Son who's redeemed us. And then we move into verses 11 through 14. And in 11 through 14, we see that we are marked with the Spirit. We are marked with the Spirit. Verses 11 and 12, it tells us, In Him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will, in order that we may, who are the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of His glory. I like how translations like the ESV tells us here that in Him we have an inheritance. This is something that people would have thought about in, in that time when they're talking about an inheritance. Many people would work the same jobs as their parents. There wasn't a lot of job options and inheritance was important to the people. And they can understand when Jesus is, or when Paul is making the comment they were predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything with the purpose of his will. This inheritance that had been promised to them. And here, Paul reiterates what we kind of read earlier about those who chosen will receive his inheritance. In verse 12, 
here it says that in order that we may, or we who are the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. It's likely here he's talking about Jewish believers. They predestine, or they were, uh, they precede, not predestined, they precede Gentile believers. And it was his will that they would receive their inheritance. But we all know the problem with them is many of these believers, or people chose not to believe, the religious leaders chose not to believe. And because of that, it resulted in Gentiles getting to hear the gospel as well. And in verses 13 through 14, it tells us this. It says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. And in verses 13 and 14, we see what happens in the life of the Ephesians. Something amazing happens to them. They've been blessed by the Father, redeemed by the Son. And in verses 13 and 14, we see the life-changing work that happens in the life of the Ephesians. First, it says that they heard the message of truth. They heard the message of truth. We see the word of God often described this way, the message of truth. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 15, it says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. James 1.18, He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all He created. And so they heard the message. But not only did they hear the message, but they also believed in the message. They heard the message and they believed in the message. Romans 10.9 says, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And so they heard the message of truth. They believed in the message of truth. And then it says, They are marked with the seal, the Holy Spirit. They have heard, they have believed, and because of this, they are marked with a seal, and that seal is the Holy Spirit, that underrated Holy Spirit, that important Holy Spirit. You see, a seal is a mark that would indicate that a letter or scroll was closed or completed. You've probably seen this on TV or some, you've read a book or, or seen a picture of this. You know, uh, somebody finishes handwriting a letter and they, they wrap it up like a scroll. And what do they do? They pull out this candle and they, they melt the thing and they, they put this stamp in there and they put it on the letter and it's this, the family crest in wax, right? It's a seal. It shows that the letter has been complete and the letter is ready to be sent off for somebody to read. And that is what the Holy Spirit is. He is a mark indicating that what has happened is complete. The Holy Spirit does that for us. He is a mark that we belong to Jesus Christ. And someday when that time comes, when everything is brought together in Christ, guess what's going to happen? That mark, that Holy Spirit shows that we believe, that we belong to the family. And in verse 14 it says, the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption. He is a deposit. A deposit as we know, it's money that has been put down to guarantee a final purchase. You pay the down payment on something with the intention to pay off the rest of it. In some translations it says he's an earnest. I don't know if you know this or not, buying a house sometimes can be pretty complicated. I think I've become an expert at it over the last year when we were trying to buy a house and all the details of it, seeing all of uh, 
you know, all the contract stuff. And one of the things, that, a word that I learned very well is earnest. I learned that word very well. And it's that promise money that, hey, you're going you're gonna to make that promise to buy that house. And, and if something falls through and it's not your fault, you'll get that money back. But it's a, a deposit. And you see that deposit is, we've not received our final inheritance, which is an eternal life in heaven with the Father. And so, so until that day comes, the Holy Spirit is a promise of that inheritance that we will receive. We haven't yet received the full reward. We are in this room this morning. That means we have not yet received that full award. That is coming someday when we inherit eternal life in heaven, when we are before the Father. That is that final reward. So until that day comes, we have that promissory note. We have that through the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter 1, 3-5 says, In His great mercy He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. The inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And this is why the phrase until redemption is so important. A day will come when we will be removed from the presence of sin. We will be removed from this world where sin is heavy. We will be removed from that and we will receive that eternal reward. Romans 8.23, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Philippians 3, 20-21, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. And so here's the deal this morning. We have a story. Paul has laid it out for us in these 14 verses. You have a story. Your story, like I said, may look different from other people's story, but the plot is the same. You have been blessed by the Father. God chose us, us, and all of our sin and all of our brokenness. He chose us. And not only did He choose us, He chose us according to His will and His pleasure so that we could be children of His. We could be adopted into the family. And in order to accomplish this, He sent His Son for us. We are blessed by the Father. We are redeemed by the Son. It was His blood on the cross shed for us that brings us redemption, forgiveness of our sins. He has redeemed us. And not only has the Father blessed us, not only has the Son redeemed us, but the Holy Spirit has marked us as a promise that someday you will receive your eternal reward. Man, you have a story to tell. You have a story to tell. I am blessed by the Father. I am redeemed by the Son. I am marked with the Spirit. It doesn't matter how you get to the the end of that story. All that matters is the story is the same. So why don't we tell our story more? We should. Man, I have a great and awesome Father who loves me so much that He would send His Son He would send His Son to die for me. I'm not perfect. I'm not worthy of that. I'm not worthy of what God has done for me. I am definitely not worthy of somebody dying on a cross for me. All the mistakes I've made, the sins I've made, I am not worthy of that. And yet, thank God that He would love me that much. And He loves you too. 
And I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking about your story and you realize, I've never made that decision. I don't tell my story because I've never given my life to him. And that's where the story begins. It starts by giving your life to him this morning. If you've never made that decision to follow him, there's nothing better than following our awesome father. And he loves you so much that he would send his son for you. And maybe you're here this morning and you've been refusing to tell your story. Maybe you've just thought, man, God, I I don't really have a story. Well, guess what? You have a story. So go and tell your story. Tell people about what God has done for you, that he would send his son for you, that he would bless you, that he would send a son for you, that he would mark you with the Holy Spirit. That's a story worth telling. And so maybe you're here this morning and you've never given your life to him. If that's the case, you can put it on your connect card. You can come and talk with me. I'd love to talk with you. Maybe you're here this morning and, man, you've just gotten off track. It happens. Maybe what you need to do is spend some time just talking with God, laying all this down at his feet. Man, you have a story to tell. Go and tell your story. Go and share your story of what God has done for you. He's blessed you. He's redeemed you. He's marked you with the Spirit. This morning, if you have a decision to make, I pray that you do so as we stand and we sing.